This morning, we hear from the Gospel of Luke and receive a lesson from the parable of the barren fig tree. Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, and listen across time and space to hear God's wisdom in these words. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they're worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit in this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting this soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. The God news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Morning, church. Morning. Again, my name is Wee Chang. Uh, I am your uh, connectional link to the United Methodist family in this, you know, ecumenical community. Uh, it's good to be here back. I think I was here about a little less than three years ago, just before pandemic in June of uh, 19, June, uh, 2019. Uh, let me bring uh, greetings from our Bishop Sudashana Devada, Bishop of New England Conference of United Methodist Church, including your church. We are a connection of some 800 United Methodist congregations in six states of New England. And you are also part of 75 churches in Commonwealth East District. Whether you realize it or not, you have much wider and more siblings in Christ in this area. And we thank you for your faithful ministry and your ex, I'm still learning English, uh, wasteful welcome <laughs> in this place. I love your mask. Also, it's, uh, it's so moving that uh, my fellow United Methodist and good friend Mike Mil Mark Miller's song, Child of God, sung this way, 
God has already brought good news that you need to hear today. Whatever happens through my mouth is just extra. Leave it or take it. <laughs> Fine. Thanks be to God. Let me uh, read you from the prophet Isaiah, Hebrew scripture, chapter 55, 1 through 11. I'll through a couple of more. And Isaiah, as the scholars believe that this part of Isaiah was shared, written, shaped in the thick of Israelites' Babylonian exile. They were living there in decades, far removed from their homeland, the land, promised land, the kingdom they were for sure that God has promised them. They were far away with no guarantee of return, but also they were getting comfortable living in the Babylon. And this is what God has spoken to them through Isaiah. Come all who you are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you, don't, you, you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for God has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while God may be found. Call on God while God is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and God will have mercy on them. And to our God, for God will freely pardon. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The wisdom of God for the people of God. All right, let me put my clock. For 15 minutes. <laughs> In today's gospel lesson, we meet Jesus, whose 
making some recent events commentary. Jesus must have heard about these events and what people were talking about them. It was events of violence, death, and tragedy. The first one was merciless killing of Galileans by the pilot, probably for political reasons. And then second one was a tragedy. The tower that was being built in near the part of Siloam somehow fell and killed 18 people. And people must have been talking why these things happened to these people. What did they, what have they done to deserve this fate? To that, Jesus was saying, basically, repeating what people might have been thinking, are these worse sinners than anybody else to deserve this? Obviously, God's punishment, death. For then, for now, we are a helplessly caught in the temptation to explain everything away. We are the species trying to seek every reason for every matter, as if we are that wise enough. One of these questions is history law. Why these things happen to people? And to answer to this simple answer, lingering answer is, they must have done something to deserve his fate. To that, Jesus answers clearly. He clearly answers to this bad yet lingering theology with simple white, simple no. He said, I'll tell you, no. He doesn't even elaborate. He doesn't even think that it's worth his time to explain more because it's just simply absurd. Jesus is saying your suffering is never the judgment of God. It doesn't define your worth before God. See, you are more than what happens to you. Why would God who created you with God's own image and loves you enough to send God's only son for your own salvation, why was such God at the end would want to judge and punish you? I'll tell you no. However, Jesus continues, yes, I'll tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. What? <laughs> Why then repentance? If we have done nothing wrong, if they have done nothing wrong to perish, why repentance? Is Jesus saying repent or you will perish? Repent, otherwise you all die? I know something better than Jesus. We all gonna die. We all gonna perish one way or another. So what is it Jesus talking about? Repentance? Avoid 
perishment? This is clearly one of those perplexing Jesus moments, right? Jesus who loves to give us trouble. We may have an answer to this perplexing question in today's prophet lesson. To the people in exile, God who want them to be returned to their old glory, to right relationship with God, is saying, and using Peterson's paraphrase, he says, I don't think the way you think, friends. That's what God's saying. The way you work isn't the way I work. God's decree. So there must be a difference in the way we think about repentance or they thought about repentance and the way God does. So what is the way we think about or we were taught to think about repentance? What is the first feeling that comes to your mind without trying to be a good theologian or to be perfect? What is the immediate thing that comes to your mind and heart when you hear that you need to repent? Are you so thrilled to hear that? You're certainly filled with God's Spirit saying, Oh, I'm so glad that God is asking me to repent. It's usually about feeling sorry, guilty, confessing our sin. It's just dark. So, in general, less repentance is better, right? <laughs> Isn't it? It is not a, certainly not a pleasant feeling or thing you want to do on a sunny day in sanctuary like this. Life well lived is what? It's the one that you don't have to repent, right? It is not just the way we think, it was and still is the way the churches, especially some churches, Christians, thought, think, and practice. For over thousands of years, the church made a business out of this understanding of repentance. That is why more people associate repentance with guilt and punishment and sins. The church that needs sinners to be in business. How sad. It's like saying parents who want their children to be all sinners to feel good. How about the way God might think about repentance? Is there anyone who have talked to God about it, this matter? So when we don't have that, we go to scripture, right? The biblical notions of repentance, in great majority cases, both in Old and New Testament, have far less to do with sin, judgment, and guilt, or last-ditch saving effort, more to do with exile, being lost of human condition and God's grace, and God's urge them to turn around, change. So the literal meaning of the word repentance, both in Hebrew and in Greek, in most cases is about turning, 
is about returning or turning. Especially in Greek, metanonia means turning your mind around. It's not just about feeling sorry. It has something to do with how you have been thinking, acting, behaving. It is about directional, volitional, and relational concept. It is a gift God offers for God's people to turn around and come home with God. See what the famous repentance story you will hear next week? The repentance of prodigal son. And if you read that story carefully, the prodigal son's repentance has less about feeling sorry and guilt about his sin, but more about rediscovering about who his God, who his father is. The scripture says when he was in the pit with the pigs, he said he came to his senses or he came to himself. A light turned on. And then he says, the first thing is not, he said, oh, I have sinned. How bad I am. No, the first thing he remembered is, in my father's house, even the hired hands have enough to eat. It's the abundance of his father's grace that prompts him to reflect on himself. That's what he said. After that, he said, I've sinned. And then he said, I'm going to stand up and go back. Remember, he's the one who said, my life all is about being away from home, right? That's where the purpose is. Now this guy is saying 180 opposite. That's repentance. Repentance is first and foremost about discovering that your life and everything that happens in it is always in the God's gracious embrace that you cannot outrun God's grace. Then turning one's mind and one's life around toward that abundance grace. Reorganizing your life, your thought, your mind, your habits, your behaviors according to that abundance of God's grace, mercy, compassion, and hope. So repentance is not, sorry friends, it's not about me or you. It's not about my sin or your sin, my guilt or your guilt. It is first and foremost about God, God's grace, and God's joy. It is not about original sin. Rather, it is more about original blessing. You need to remember God originally blessed everybody first before all this old regional sin business came into being. See, Isaiah's decree in 55 is also about the same grace of God and the prophet's plea to those in exile to return to that grace because they were beginning to forget who they were and who their God is while living in exile. Come all you who are thirsty and come to the water. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread and why labor on what does not satisfy? 
Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear to me, come to me, listen, and uh, that you may live, that you may not perish. Told you to those in exile, even though they were away from their homeland, the Babylonians have a policy of allowing the Israelites to do, run their own business. They had some sense of freedom. They were not like all slaves. So they must have been able to earn, save, and spend. That's why Isaiah is saying, why you spend your money on the bread that does not satisfy or satisfy your hunger? So they were able to achieve some comfort. However, they, they were still hungry, thirsty, probably for more. Now that they have seen how the Babylonians work. Why? Because the market, the empire, the way of market, the way of empire, you know, that's the same thing. Empire 2,000 years ago, empire now, it's all evolved around market. The empire is built upon what? The principle of ultimate scarcity. The market is there because you lack something. Therefore, there's always an insatiable lure for more. You are always lacking. I want you to remember 30 years ago, those of you who live here 30 years ago, 20 years ago, here in America, your concept of vacation then and your expectation of vacation now have dramatically changed, isn't it? I served some people, they went to the uh, honeymoon to the White Mountain. You would not even get to the door of wedding chapel if you say, I'm going to go to White Mountain for honeymoon. <laughs> You're always lacking. You're lacking your worth, wealth, power. There's always more to achieve, to enjoy. You are therefore always not good enough because nothing is perfect. You need to prove and build your own worthiness even before God and before the Facebook, Twitter, you name it, Instagram. There's always more to control, therefore dominate, to maintain your upper hand. Because there is less, someone has to have more, isn't it? Someone has to more than the other because there's not enough to go around. Therefore, there's an endless pursuit of power grabs, expansions, control, confrontation. We saw two world wars over this. We saw the decades of Cold War over this. We are now witnessing right in front of our eyes what the empires do when they don't know how to stop, that enough is enough. They always have to expand, control, 
East versus West, capitalist versus communist, you name it. How about climate crisis? Isn't climate crisis all about we need more energy, therefore we need to dig more? All these things originate from belief that there is not enough to go around. We have more than ever, if you think about it, we have more wealth, more resources, more technology than ever before, and we feel more poorer and less secure about our future evermore. See, world has more ways, resources, opportunities to come together as a human family, and the world is ever more divided, conflicted, and polarized. In this world of scarcity, all will indeed perish. That's the truth about zero-sum game, right? We are racing toward our own destruction. No wonder why Jesus says, unless you repent, you all shall perish. How about the kingdom's way? Kingdom's way is built upon the principle of abundance, grace, goodness, and life. You're always good enough, not because you are so worthy of God's love, because God's love created you to be worthy. And there's nothing you can do about it or anybody else can do about it. Each moment is filled with God's redemptive grace and resilient will toward beauty and goodness. We heard it from the wilderness story during the Lent. It was a constant struggle about Israel saying, we don't have enough. And God saying, well, I'll give you daily manna, but that's good enough, just good enough, not for tomorrow. Tomorrow belongs to me, not to you. No wonder why Psalmist said, Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is your shepherd, the first thing is what? I shall not want. I know you want my sermon to end quick. <laughs> Remember, Lord is your shepherd. <laughs> See, in kingdom way, love is always enough to overcome hate. Faith is always enough to confront all fears. And hope is enough to outlive all hardship, even death. Aren't we in that season that even the suffering and death of God's own begotten Son is placed in the amazing and unfathomable and resurrecting grace of God? That's enough? Isaiah says, through the, God says through the Isaiah, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return until they have watered the earth and gave all the things that you need to give, so shall my word, so shall my love, so shall my vision, and so shall my goodness and mercy and grace. Be that goes out, and it shall not return to God empty because it shall accomplish for what God purposed. 
and succeed in things that which God sent him. See, our life and the whole world is in the sure hand of God's grace that will not stop until all are redeemed as God's beloved and all creation restored to beauty and harmony. Gain not to perfection, but the goodness. You know, when God created creation in Genesis, God didn't say, especially create everything, said, God saw it and God said, oh, it's so perfect. No, God said it was good. And good is good enough. Whatever is happening in your life and in this world, no matter how despairing and frustrating and ugly it may seem, is placed in the gracious being and working of God who will never stop until God finishes God's goodness, until God sees it through. So repentance is not once for all. It's not only for when you are in trouble. It is what we need to live each moment to live fully and joyfully in the everlasting presence of God's amazing grace and fear-shattering love and enduring hope. It is a way of life that our conflicted, greedy, and ever-polarizing world needs to stop from destroying ourselves from simply perishing. The last verse of Psalm 23, you're all going to remember. Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's not like my dog following me, jolly. The literal translation, according to using Peterson paraphrase, is like this. God's beauty, love, and goodness will chase after me. It will not let me go until all the days of my life. Friends, repentance is just stop and turning around and find that God's chasing love, goodness, mercy, and justice for you and for this world. May God bless you each moment with the gift of joyful repentance. Amen.